Investing in your business can be a wonderful way to grow wealth and live the life you want. That's what I'm doing. But investing in someone else's business can be even better. In my opinion, this is the best way to generate true passive income streams. Through ETFs or exchange-traded funds, you can buy a basket of shares in different companies in one trade. BetaShares offers Australia's broadest range of ETFs, including the Global Cashflow Kings ETF, ticker symbol CFLO, which lets you invest in 200 companies with high levels of free cash flow, such as Visa and Costco, in one ETF. You can learn more about CFLO and the BetaShares fund range by visiting betashares.com.au. Read the PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, and welcome to number six, episode six of Accelerator Light on the Australian Business Podcast, our free 10 week bootcamp for rapidly improving your profit and business's growth. In this free 10 week program, we give you the absolute essential tools for maximizing the opportunity right in front of you. As you know, my name is Owen, and together with Daniel and Jordan, we have over 20 years of collective experience either running, researching, investing in, uh, and or advising private businesses. We've put all of that into these 10 episodes, but please note that this is the light version, so it may seem incomplete with the launch of our Business Accelerator in late February 2024. We're offering you a taste of what's available inside the full online program and community. A special note, it's been a bit delayed on this episode, and that's because over the last two weeks, while we have been running this free Accelerator Light podcast monologue series, we've also decided to rebrand the Business Accelerator. If you head to the website inflection.au, that's inflection.au, you'll get a taste of our new website that is in development. Uh, We spun that up last week, and that's what we've been working on throughout the past two weeks. And thank you to everyone that's already joined our Business Accelerator. As you know from the guys and myself talking about it over the past couple of weeks, we have actually sold out of the Pioneer slots. I believe Jordan may open it up to a couple more before the end of the month, and we plan to go live to the public in March. As you may have heard before, if you're a business owner, you should become a full member while you have the chance to join us at a discounted rate. Chances are you can pay for the coaching and accelerator program through your business, and it is very likely tax deductible. That's according to my chartered accountant, Daniel Golubev. You can use the I'm pretty cute link in your podcast player to sign up today. The link takes you to the owenrass.com website. Soon that will transition to the inflection.au website. Either website is fine. In today's episode, I'll be covering marketing, probably the one that you've all been waiting for. And the three main points that I'll be covering today include your customer avatar, paid versus organic marketing, email marketing. So let's take a look at a customer avatar. 
Some of you may be familiar with this, but I'm going to take a bit of a different spin to the regular line that you might have heard on the podcast before. So I'm going to look past probably the most important part of marketing, which is your customer avatar. And I'm just going to give you the kind of brief glimpse at it as we go past and then we move on to the other two topics. Obviously, you would want to do a lot of work on this. If you couldn't tell me the name of who your ideal customer is, aka your avatar, by the end of this sentence, I would already know that your marketing spend is going to be 50% as effective, if even that. A customer avatar or profile represents your target customer. At Rask, for example, we have three. We have Sky, Ryan, and Bruce. Sky's a hairdresser, Ryan is an engineer earning 160k, and Bruce is actually a retired business owner transitioning to retirement, or has just retired, and obviously he wants to know how to invest, so he comes to Rask. Because I know them, what they like, the brands they admire, how much money they have, and where they spend their time online, having, a ref- having refined that over six to seven years now, I have zero problem telling you exactly what keywords, phrases, images, or creative products or services stand a chance when it comes to marketing to these people. I can also tell you where they are likely to be, what content they'll likely receive and enjoy. Aside from not even knowing what a customer avatar is, which is probably the biggest mistake any business owner will ever make, is making an ass of yourself. I don't know who famously said this line, but incorrect assumptions will make an ass of you and me. Specifically, a lot of owners assume they know exactly who their target customer is, where they are, what they like. They might even give them an avatar name like Patricia. But here's the thing. I'm yet to meet any one business owner who knows exactly who their avatar is in advance of starting their business, and it turns out to be specifically correct. For example, in my business, I thought the customer avatar was someone like me, a 20-ish-year-old male who is growth-focused, enjoys learning about finance, and wants to know more and more. So I built an education website back in the early days called raskfinance.com. If you've ever emailed me, you may know that that URL still persists. It's a bit of a frustration of mine, to be honest. The thing is, people who consume and buy finance content and, you know, subscriptions, financial advice, are not that type of person. It's not the people who love discovering everything about finance or what makes one ETF 0.005% better than the next. Sure, there might be some of us out there, but thinking that everyone is like me is a massive dose of confirmation bias if I ever came across them. Instead, the reality was that 97% of people who use Rask services today don't have multiple degrees in finance. They're more likely to be like Ryan, the engineer who is smart, likes to tinker, and wants to learn about investing. He's also willing to pay to learn the craft, but even he doesn't want to know and be bored to death with formulas and all these financial terms like I am. Then there's Sky. Sky's the hairdresser. She's just got married. Sky just wants to know how to manage a budget and invest for her family's future for the next 20 or 30 years. She wants something simple. She doesn't care about formulas. Bruce thinks he does want to know the technical stuff. But really, he just wants someone to make him feel rich by explaining how to draw a tax-effective income from his super or share portfolio. The thing is, it took me way too long to recognize that I was wrong. 
A few months would be putting it mildly. I think it maybe took me a year to realize I wasn't building something for myself. The thing is, the irony is most of the finance industry still think the customer is themselves. They want to know things like what is the duration or the bond portfolio's convexity. They want to do all their formulas. No one cares. It's probably because they're mostly run by fixed mindset, ego-driven types of people who have been told how good they are their entire life. As you can see, I have a few gripes with the finance industry. The bottom line is that if you ignore what your data and your feedback is telling you, you will fail. You'll either fail immediately or worse, you'll fail slowly. You'll waste money, you'll waste time and you'll waste your life that could have been invested going to a family barbecue or fishing. So I want you to stop what you are doing and ask yourself, who are my two to three real customers? What do they actually like? Then in part two, what are they buying from me? Part three, are those products making me money? Not sales. Let's think after costs. Gross profit. Are they making me a gross profit? Now, I want you to imagine something, and this is going to illustrate the point quite nicely. Imagine a cake shop. It was set up by Susie to sell artistic cakes and cupcakes. Her ideal customer is someone called Jane. Jane is her customer avatar. Jane is a 28 to 36-year-old who spends way too long on Instagram, wears way too much activewear, is two-fifths vegan, and says it's a vibe more than thank you. Because she expects Instagram to be a thing, Susie decided a big footprint at an expensive inner-city shop is where the cupcakes and treats will be made and lined up every day. It sounds good because people on Instagram share photos. Fast forward to today. Susie has found herself selling quite a few cups of coffee. The shop serves about 220 cups of coffee every day. Each coffee costs about $1.20 to make and she charges 5 bucks. If you do the numbers, that's $836 of gross profit just from selling coffee every day. Most of these are sold early morning between 6am and 10am and mostly to male tradies passing by and then there's this rush hour of a 90 minute window which includes commuters because she's near a bus stop and a train station. She does minimal prep for the coffee. Just before the rush hour, she's spinning up the coffee machine and the day before, she's got all the things there, like the milk and coffee. Most of her orders are full cream, except for a few middle-aged men who heard a Rogan podcast featuring a libertarian who espoused the virtues of soybeans. But for their privilege, she charges them 50 cents more. So the margin remains the same, even if the sale price ticks a little bit higher. By contrast, Susie spends around 60% of her day preparing cakes and treats for the shop, for the crowd who comes in between 10am and 1pm. During this time, she estimates she turns over $1,000. Sounds pretty good, but it costs $600 in costs and she has to employ a cook or like a chef to help her with that. So realistically, it's a $400 gross profit. Once again, sounds okay, but not as good as the coffee. Now, because Susie listens to this podcast and she joined our accelerator, she had a breakthrough. The vibe isn't the 11am French Bulldogs and filler. It's a 6am dirt 
and stretched out tribal tattoo, it's not Jane, it's Ben, the 36-year-old labourer, and George, the 51-year-old accountant. These are her real customer avatars. Going forward, here's what Susie plans to do. She plans to keep her core segment, which is that vibing crowd in activewear. She's going to create a new customer profile, however, for the tradies and another one for her office workers. She's also identified that Rubens, salted tuna melts and ham cheese tomato toasties are her go-to. Her new marketing strategy? It's going to be a one-month marketing campaign offering to bundle the morning coffee with an Instagram-worthy tuna melt for just 10 bucks. The tuna melt is a pretty low-margin product. It's adding only about 50 cents after costs to her $10 bundle. But it's a marketing campaign to build insane loyalty. And if she builds the offer into a limited-time campaign that all the tradies know about, in a month or so, with the customers fully expecting it, she can up the price to, say, $11. Even if everyone doesn't take her up on it, now she's making an extra $200 in gross profit, or around $50,000 per year. That's before we get to the other campaigns for her vibing crowd, including cutting back on some items and realizing that she could use this space to offer her Instagram community things like discounts on wedding cake consultations and sales strategies. Six months later, Susie could be bringing in an additional $2,500 a week with minimal ingredients costs if she can if she can transition her business to something like wedding cakes or corporate customers. All of a sudden, Susie's business is ticking over an extra 70 or 100k in gross profit per year. That's either, either a big dividend, a decent wage, a new website, an extra cook, a barista, whatever the case may be. Regardless, she can use that money to reinvest back into her business for more growth. The thing is, I'm telling you this story knowing that most businesses don't follow Susie's simple customer avatar rebuilding strategy because they don't even know what a customer avatar is. They spend too long in their business rather than on their business and analyzing key operational metrics. Or worst of all, they feel it's some sort of betrayal to their original purpose or idea to change their customer target and to adjust their business model. But seriously, think about all of the financial stress and financial consequences that Susie would have faced if she pursued the lower profit avatar, the one that's vibing, as her sole focus. By just looking at your data, doing things like surveys if you've never done them before, or just receiving honest feedback, you can build a customer avatar that fully rocks. But only if you leave your ego at the door. Humility is essential in this process. So now that we know who we're talking to, we can start to think about how we actually get to them. Next up, and I'll try to be brief because I've used up a lot of time already, and I'll save the majority of this for the Accelerator community. Here's a primer on paid versus organic marketing. The reality is that you can do basically one of two things to attract new customers. You can pay for the leads or you can try to find them in a way that you don't have to necessarily pay a platform like Facebook, Google, TikTok, Amazon, eBay, all those different things. You don't have to pay for advertising, so to speak. 
The thing is, organic traffic is the kind of traffic that you get through word of mouth. You might get it through blogging. Or if you have some type of website that attracts traffic, for example, or you do social media posts and you gain a following simply because your content is compelling. This is sometimes called a content marketing strategy. A paid versus organic example might help. Let's say that you are a plumbing business and for some reason you want a, you want to do a marketing campaign and you set out and you write a blog for your WordPress website. Because it's WordPress and you've set up the website, it doesn't actually cost you anything. You might write a blog post like seven ways to fix a leaky tap. And at the bottom of the article, you might have a capture field that people can put in their email address and phone number to get in contact with you or to get some sort of report or how-to guide. But let's say after a few months, you realize maybe the SEO isn't really working on that blog post that I wrote, haven't really got any customers. What you could do is you could put some advertising dollars behind that. And you could use that blog post as your marketing lead. It could be what we call creative, which is the thing that goes into the ad that makes people click on it. But it would also serve as somewhat of a landing page because people would click on that page, they'd read your blog post and so on. So you might chuck $1,000 into a Google advertising campaign and eventually you'll notice that some traffic comes because you've set up the advertising in Google to respond to plumber near me, what to do about a leaky tap or how to fix a leaking tap. Anyone that puts that into Google in a specific area will be shown your link, your step-by-step guide as a paid advertisement. So this is the basic difference of acquired leads or paid leads and organic traffic. Now, most people will tell you that if you can master the organic content marketing strategy, it will be the highest returning strategy for you. For example, at the RAS Group, we have paid perhaps a grand total of, I would say, maybe $5,000 in the seven years that I've been running the business on pure advertising, whether that's in YouTube, as experiments, Facebook, you name it. That would mean that basically 99% of our audience, of our traffic, of our account holders, of our members, of everyone, has come through an organic content marketing strategy. You're listening to this podcast, it's content marketing, and you may become part of our accelerator, which is where you pay us. Now, I know how many people listen to this, and we know how many people sign up for a discovery call, and we know how many people pay us, of course, so we can calculate the return on investment on this. But realistically, we don't have to pay that much for hosting this podcast, and so it is an organic marketing strategy. We are working with a coach within our community who hopefully will coach others in our community too. And she is setting up a full paid advertising strategy for us, a full brand audit and a full system so we can launch into paid advertising once the accelerator goes live. You have to be very careful when you go down that road, but it is worthwhile if you know what you are doing. Okay, so we know that organic traffic could be things like word of mouth. So say if you're a plumbing business, and a friend refers you or refers into your business, that's another example, a common example of an organic lead that comes into your business. Now, I want to kind of leave you with more than just what is the difference between those two things. I want you to imagine a business that sells garden sheds. Now, this business does 
retail trade, people come through the doors. They have an industrial warehouse where people can come in, look at the types of sheds and purchase them if they like. However, they also have a digital strategy where they can sell directly from their warehouse. They'll go out and install and these types of things, or they'll just ship it to you. Let's imagine they're running two different strategies, strategy A and strategy B. In the first strategy, we have a very simple piece of creative. The content, as you can imagine it in your head right now, under this title goes, seven garden sheds you can DIY. That's the advertising that they're running. The second strategy, strategy B, is great garden sheds installed in under a week. Get our free guide. Two very similar strategies, or two very similar pieces of uh, creative, I might say, but both campaigns have different outcomes. So one is the seven garden sheds, and the other one is an installation guide in under a week. So both advertising campaigns are run with $1,000 over the next 30 days to test how well they do. This is what we would call an A-B test in marketing. You have one headline or one piece of creative, and you have another one right beside it. You put a few hundred dollars or $1,000 behind it and see how it goes. The first ad gets 200 clicks to the landing page. On that page, you offer a free report so people can understand the seven garden sheds that you can DIY. You collect 120 email captures. From those 120 email captures, around 20 of them, so about one in six, actually go ahead and book a discovery call with your team. This is where they can dial in via Zoom or give you a call and try and understand what it is exactly that you do and how you can help them get a garden shed. From that point of 20 discovery calls, only 10 go through to the invoice stage and they actually receive that invoice. Only two actually go ahead. So from the $1,000 we originally spent on this seven garden sheds you can DIY strategy, only two jobs were completed. So we could calculate our return on investment if we took, say, the gross profit of those jobs and we compared it against our original cost. Now, let's just quickly run through these figures again. We spent $1,000, we got 200 clicks onto the landing page. We got 120 emails, which is pretty good. It's about $8. We got 20 discovery calls. We got 10 invoices sent and we completed two jobs. Now let's look at campaign B. In this option, what we see is we spent the same $1,000 or a different $1,000, but it's $1,000, exactly the same. In this one, we got half the amount of clicks. We only got 100 clicks but we got 75 email captures, still less than 120 from strategy A, but pretty good. We got 55 people going through the discovery call from 20 in the other strategy. So far fewer people actually clicking on the ad, but more people converting. From those 55, we actually invoiced 30 different jobs and those invoices were received. Finally, of those 30, eight jobs were completed. This, in my opinion, would probably translate to a killer return on investment. From this strategy, great garden sheds installed in under a week, here's our free guide, we got eight jobs. From the first strategy, seven garden sheds you can DIY, we only got two. So you could calculate the return on investment from strategy B is significantly better than strategy A. But let's just have a think about what's happened here. For strategy A, we got double the amount of clicks and we got more email leads. So that sounds like it should have done better because only 20 booked a discovery call. 
At every stage of every marketing funnel or customer journey, you should be able to quantify the value or the cost that it takes to get a customer to that stage of the funnel. And this is where it's magic. So in our two A-B tests here, if we had all of the data in front of us, what we would be able to determine is that the seven garden sheds you can DIY is much more clickable. It's a better headline. It's got better creative. The landing page must be working better. However, something happens between email capture and discovery call that means our system is falling down. They're simply not booking into the discovery call and we are losing a lot of leads. So what we could do in this scenario is think about what can we take from strategy B or customer funnel B and port across using creative A so we get the best of both worlds. In this case, we could end up with 15 or 20 jobs completed rather than two or eight. But the only way that you would know what combination of steps to use is to quantify every step in the marketing funnel. And this is where some people go really wrong. They often think that organic traffic doesn't really matter because it's hard and it is. For example, with SEO, you really don't know if your SEO is working for three, six, nine months after you actually post the blog post or the product or the Shopify product on the internet. That means it's pretty opaque when you actually upload that product if people are actually finding it organically. But the key thing is that you don't change it because if you do change the SEO around that, you may actually lose all of the SEO juice that you had previously been able to achieve. The key thing is though, no matter which way people come into your business, you should be able to quantify their journey to your business. Just as Susie knew how many tradies come through and how many people were office workers or seem to be office workers and how many people seem to be that other avatar, you should be able to quantify in your business where your customers are coming from how much it costs to get them to each stage of your marketing funnel and what is the return on the investment. The gold standard is knowing what it costs at every step of that marketing funnel. Because once you do that, then you can combine marketing funnels and lead magnets so that your business is thriving. Okay, so that's point two, quantifying every step of your marketing funnel. It's really not that hard People get overwhelmed with Google. People get overwhelmed with Meta or Facebook ads. People get overwhelmed with crafting a marketing strategy. Honestly, guys, it doesn't have to be that complex, particularly if you're selling one or two products, such as, say, a plumbing business. You're selling services, whether it's renovations or new builds. You know what you're selling. One of the simplest strategies for you is to use a customer that you already have and capture their email address and phone number. And when you do a walkthrough, why don't you ask them, hey, Do you have anything else that needs doing around the house? Should we do a quick walkthrough? And that's where you're starting to develop skills in the sales process, which Jordan and I will cover in the next episode. Finally, I'd like to move on to email marketing. I'll be brief because email marketing is one of the most important things. It it deserves an episode by itself, but we simply do not have time to do it in the Accelerator Light podcast series. Email marketing is the single best form of digital marketing invented. There is nothing that comes even close. I want you to imagine an architectural business. 
This business is out there trying to sell its services to local councils and these types of things. With this local council business opportunity, the architect says, hey, do you want to jump onto TikTok and we'll discuss this new business idea or this new design that you've got? I'd love to tender for it. Meet me on TikTok. If the council worker is anything like I imagine, they would go, who the heck is this crazy guy? He wants to go, wants to meet me on TikTok to discuss business. The reality is certain types of marketing mediums simply do not work for the type of business that you operate. One of the things that makes email marketing by far the most powerful form of marketing and digital marketing you can do is that the inbox is where people do business. Think about it. If you're going to receive ads from Shopify or from an online store that you like, you're probably going to receive them through an email. You you might see an ad campaign on TikTok, but you're probably not going to buy it through TikTok. At least I'm not anyway. Or if you say, let's it's a business-to-business scenario and your company is selling widgets into another company. Typically, there are emails exchanged before that transaction takes place. So you're more likely to be in the mode or in the zone for doing business in your inbox. This is one of the reasons why email marketing just works. And it doesn't have to be super fancy. Even a BCC email to 10 of your previous customers to say, hey, Just to let you know, we've got these products and services coming up. Let me know if you want to have a chat. That can work. There are a few things you should know about email marketing before you embark down this path. By far the most powerful reason why people open an email, known as the open rate, by far is who the email is sent from. It's similar to when you visit a website. Websites have a score called domain authority, which you can check online. Domain authority is basically a measure of a company, of a website's ability to be trusted by search engines and by users based on metrics that Google can see. A company or a website with a high domain authority will rank better in Google. Similarly, a person or a brand with a high authority in email will be opened more than any other type of sender. So when you have a customer, be sure to send your email from a name that people are familiar with. And you can make it personal. Sometimes I send emails from Owen Rask and sometimes I send emails from Rask, depending on whether they're transactional emails or more personal emails. When you go down the level of what's next most important, a subject line is really important. This is the thing that you first see when you read an email in your inbox. Subject lines have gone come a long way in recent years and you can use tools like MailChimp, Active Campaign and many others that actually allow you to use AI to optimize your subject line. But for many years, you've been able to A-B test. Think about our seven garden sheds versus the great garden sheds installed in under a week idea we had before. In that scenario, there was an A and a B strategy. Many pieces of email marketing like Drip, Campaign Monitor, Salesforce, they all allow you to do this thing called an A-B test with your subject line. Basically, what happens is you write a subject line that you think is going to attract the attention of your email list. Then you write an alternative subject line that you think may work better. And what you can do is allow the software to choose which subject line is going to work best for your end reader. What what the email software does, say like MailChimp or Drip or something like this, is before you know it, they'll send around about 100 to 200 test emails to your audience. 
From that 1 to 200, they'll gauge which emails are open the most based on the subject line. Okay, now we know. For the rest of the emails in the 1000 uh, person database, we will send subject line B. So if you haven't already familiarized yourself with sending good subject lines for marketing emails, understand that you can do that automatically through your software. Finally, I want to talk to you about segmentation and the importance of tagging and knowing who is on your email list. It is now industry standard that you do not send an email to everyone on your database. Why? Because imagine you have a business that has multiple product lines and services. Let's say you have an e-commerce store. Your business sells Nike shoes and it also sells Adidas pants. You don't want to be sending an advertisement for Adidas pants to someone that you know buys Nike shoes. You want to be sending them an ad for Nike shoes. It's really important because you may be unsubscribed if you begin sending irrelevant information to the wrong customer. It's really important that you segment your audience. An easy way to do this is when you set up your landing pages or your email capture forms on your website, just make sure that you have a tagging field or you have some way to segment where that uh, user is from so that your email software knows that that person should be branded or tagged in a different way. This can be really powerful stuff, guys. You can add so much segmentation to your email software. It is crazy. And once you've done that, you can automate literally every step of your marketing funnel. And it all depends on what emails people click, on which pages of your website they appear on. That retargeting is insane. And if you do that, it is a significant unlocker in your business, no matter how big your email list is. Really quickly, if you're wondering which software you might want to go with, I'd say stick to the well-known brands for email marketing software. While MailChimp tends to be where most brands start, and it's pretty good, to be honest, I think there are better options for many different types of businesses. For years, the RAS Group has used Drip. For our accelerator business, we are using ActiveCampaign, but there are many others, such as Campaign Monitor, Salesforce, which is a full CRM and more expensive, and the list goes on and on and on. It all comes back to your particular needs and your business case. MailChimp is quite cheap and really effective for most businesses. If you need more advice on this, please be sure to reach out to us. There's a link in the show notes. You can follow that link and you can send us an email for any of your questions. And of course, if you're part of the Accelerator community, well, you'll get to experience our advertising and I guess you can ask us any questions you like at any time. And that's the beauty of being part of the Accelerator. Okay, guys, so just a recap of what we covered in this very long-winded monologue. Number one, the only way to fully optimize your marketing, advertising, and sales strategy is to know your customer. Collect as much data on them as you can and use that data to inform your strategy and your belief of where the business should go. Don't put your beliefs before the data. It will be a slow and painful death. Number two, organic leads are probably the cheapest you can get. But now that we know that acquired leads can be treated effectively the same way and we can once run split tests, let's try and quantify how much it costs to get a customer through every step of our marketing funnel. You should know the numbers on both sides of your business. It's really not that hard. Please prioritize this. Finally, at every opportunity, please collect your customer's email address and if you like their phone number, because all of those pieces of software that I mentioned before also also handle phone numbers so you can use email and phone numbers to send automated marketing messages 
to your target customers. If you like this short episode, why not come and join me plus Jordan and Daniel inside the full business accelerator. As noted, we've recently rebranded the business for the accelerator as inflection. You can connect with us, ask questions, share your ideas, and so much more. We've already sold out on the Pioneer program, which is absolutely unbelievable, but you are now able to book directly in with Jordan and have a chat, a free strategy call for your business with Jordan. Check it out. Just subscribe to our mailing list and you will see what the fuss is all about. The Accelerator is our full online program that will take your business to the next level by offering weekly group coaching, marketing templates, structuring templates, the latest in tax strategies, downloads, videos, PDFs, a business knowledge bank networking, and much more. Intakes are happening now for early adopters who will also secure a discount when we go live. After our launch, we will not be discounting the program. And since we do not really love doing marketing things like this, as much as I just did a whole podcast about it, and I do like to see the results of them, we will not be doing much more marketing through the podcast because we'd rather get back to interviews and answering your questions. So take this opportunity to join and get in on the ground floor. You can pay for it through your business. It's really not that expensive. Uh, it's a pretty good solution for helping business owners right around Australia. Uh, I am so excited to get into it. Don't forget there's the I'm pretty cute link in your podcast player, whether you're on Apple, Spotify, one of those other weird ones like BeanPod or who knows what you're listening on. You can actually use the link there and it will sort you out. It'll take you directly to a page to get involved with us with the Business Accelerator. Coming up in the next episode, I will cover sales. And this sales monologue will also be inspired by Jordan, who does all of the sales at Inflection. And don't forget, we will air episodes every week once we have done the Accelerator Light. After that, we will be continuing to roll with things like weekly interviews and answering your questions live with Daniel, myself, and Jordan. I'm guessing I'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening.